death is not something people want to hear. Death is not something people want to really talk about. For some reason, it's a dark cloud. Hello and welcome to All the Above. I'm James Brown. Thanks for joining me. You can check out my work at jamesbrowntv.substack.com. Paid subscribers get episodes early and other perks. It's there I make podcasts about the things that unite us and the people obsessed with them. It's in that spirit that I present to you a series called Completing the Circle. It's about death and dying and the people who embrace it every day. Like today's guest, Genevieve Kini Vasquez. She spent her whole life wanting to work in these fields, and she has. As a funeral director, an army medical officer, a palliative nurse, and most recently as president and CEO of the National Museum of Funeral History. She was fascinating, revealing, and eloquent. Everything you can ask for in a guest. Find me on any platform at James Brown TV and tell me what you think. You can also email me at jamesbrowntv at gmail.com. And now... My conversation with Genevieve Kini Vasquez. Genevieve, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, James, for having me. I am really excited. I know people are probably wondering what's so exciting about death, right? But you know what? It's it's a topic that affects us all during our life, and we're all going to be there one day. So I guess where my excitement comes from is the fact that I I understand death and I and, and I've learned to embrace it in life and I would love to be able to use my skill set my experiences to help other people understand that death is is yes it's a sad part of life but if you understand that death is our ultimate end in life you can live a fuller life and have a better appreciation for life there's several very interesting elements of that statement there, right? Oh, yes. A what, lot. What do we misunderstand about death? I, I think what we misunderstand about death is the finality of it and the amount of grief and effect that that true death has upon us. And I think it comes from our exposure of death day to day. If you watch our news or if you're you know, subscribe to online uh, email notifications like Next Door Neighbor or just general, you know, social media type daily engagements. So many of those stories talk about death, right? Somebody died in a car accident. There's been a shooting. If you look at the first 10 minutes of your news segment every night, it's always about the deaths that have happened around our city. And so our exposure and go to the movies, right? The movies sensationalize it is entertainment so we are exposed to death on a consistent basis but we never really understand the realities of it um now this might be a little bit morbid but again it's part of who i am as a person and i will tell this story full circle but i have to tell you the other day i for some reason i i i was very intrigued about the force of mother nature and i was watching some old videos on the tsunami and and the effect the tsunami had on um back in 2004 and all of the pictures i was seeing i was like 
I never once saw a dead person in any of the videos or any of the photos. And I thought to myself, but we hear this mass amount of number of deaths that succumb to the effects of the tsunami. And I thought, interesting enough, we never see any of these deaths, the reality of it. So I took that next step and I said, what does it look like when somebody dies in a tsunami? I know what it looks like when they die in the movies. And I know what it looks like when they die in a video game or on a cartoon. I know when it's being told to me on a news segment, but I can only imagine because of how I saw it on a movie, but I don't see the reality of it. And so when I, I, I managed to stumble on some photos because I was wanting to understand more, I was aghast when I actually saw the effects that the tsunami had on the human body. And from a scientific funeral director, embalmer, mindset that I have, I was like, wow, okay, that's what death looks like when a tsunami hits. But I would challenge the listeners of this show, how many people actually know what death looks like during the tsunami? Or what does death look like during the fire? Or what does death, we hear about it, but we don't really see it. But I can tell you what death looks like on a movie, right? But those, uh, and those same actors come back again and again. So it's a false sense of death. And I think that, that, that we do ourselves an injustice because we don't understand the true realities of death. So many questions come from that statement. Number one, what did the body look like? Oh, wow. Very grotesque is like the best word to describe it. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, from a embalmer and funeral director's point of view, um, some of the things that really took me surprisingly um, was the body had, the, so we all have natural gases in our body and after we die, those gases start to build up. And so a lot of these bodies, unfortunately, were heavily bloated. Um, and also because they were in water, uh, they took on some of that water and the bloating was magnified because of those two, the gases and the water. Um, but then at the same time, they were putting these bodies, rightfully so, in in boxes known as coffins and caskets, but they couldn't fit properly because wow. their arms were, were, were extended. Their arms were extended outside of the boxes. And so in that moment, as a funeral director, as a professional in the death care business, I was learning something new, that not all deaths present itself in a way that is natural and normal, which is you die in your sleep and you get embalmed shortly within hours of death and I can nicely fold your arms along against your side across the front of your body and you look like you are just sleeping. Completely not possible for somebody who has unfortunately succumbed to death during a natural disaster, such as what I learned just the other day. And so, you know, I mean, unless you're stumble across a photo or you're curious to understand what death looks like, which is how it all began for me at the tender age of seven, I was very curious and wanted to understand and know what death looks like. I definitely want to know about your origins there, but I want to step back to, to your description. 
and description of one of the things you you did or, or or still do. I'm not not sure quite sure if you if you still do that as a funeral director and a, a member of the death care industry. You talked about crossing the arms of a dead person. Why 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 do we do that? Uh, well, it's 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 a very soft. Uh, um aesthetic appearance and you basically you put one hand in in front of the you know you cup them together linking them at the thumbs uh so it's always the right hand over the left and then you place them right about their abdomen so it's a very natural pose but allows the arms to off you know to be above because we find that the two most distinguishing and or um touchable features if you will on the human body is the face and the hands and so when somebody's going up to the casket to pay respect to their loved one, sometimes they want to touch that hand one more time. Uh, it's a sign of, of, you know, saying goodbye, or they want to touch that face or, or, or place a gentle kiss upon that forehead. So the hands and the face are very, very important uh, areas for us to focus on in our industry. So you were taught that? Yes. Yeah, we are taught that. In school? In, in, yes, in school. Mm -hmm. In funeral directing school. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we're taught to to focus in on. But I I myself found it a, a, a natural given talent that I kind of already possessed and understood. Um, however, I think that people who do go to uh, school to become an embalmer or a funeral director, there's an innate... Um, ability or interest that we all possess to want to be within this field. Man. So that ties pretty well into, into you being interested at this at the age of seven. So yeah. that, that was common among your colleagues as you were going through school. Um, there's a, Quite a few colleagues that knew at a very young age that this is what they wanted to do for, you know, for myself, uh, you know, and, and when you're young like that, you're not quite sure what it's called or, or how to, to truly label it and understand it. You just try to navigate, you know, for myself speaking, navigated the, the curiosity as best I could without people looking, uh, you know, strangely at me. Uh, you kind of keep that stuff kind of close to your chest and, Nowadays, you don't have to as much, I think, as, as when I was younger. Um, there's a proliferative of information now. They have awesome television shows, the CSI, the Criminal Minds. They, you know, they kind of give you uh, an idea of what these professions do. Those didn't exist when I was young. So early on, I didn't know basically how to, uh, uh, I would say, how to nurture and grow this profound curiosity and wanting to learn about death and what death looked like. I think we have one thing in common in that, that not so much an interest in death, but at an early age, I knew what I wanted to do. For the most part, I've gotten to do it, much like you. I knew that I wanted to write. I knew that I wanted to talk into microphones. I was obsessed huh? with it. And I, I remain to this day... You mentioned profound curiosity about it. What, where does this spring from in you? 
Um, well, so it started, you know, let me, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you a, a full circle, um, interesting, um, journey, if you will. When I was seven years old, um, I happened to be sleeping in the room next to the living room. And so therefore I could hear the television in the next room. My parents were watching the news and the, on the news, they just said that they had unfortunately found a deceased baby in a trash can. And I distinctly remember looking over um, under at the bottom bunk to my brother. And I said, man, that could have been us. If we would have went pop can collecting today, we could have found it. And my brother and I used to go pop can collecting just to get changed for candy. And uh, there was a gentleman that, that lived uh, near us. And he also did pop can collecting. And we always looked at him as our competition at such a young age. And uh, and, I've, and unfortunately, he was the one that found the baby. Oh, wow. And yeah, I had told my brother that could have been us. That could have been us. And it was in that distinct moment that I laid in my bunk bed wanting to know, what did that baby look like? Would I have been scared if I would have found that baby? How would I have handled the situation? And in that moment, the seed of curiosity and profound curiosity was planted. And so I continued through my young life searching to try to understand what a dead body looks like. What is death? Why do we have death? What does the body go through scientifically when we die? Uh, and so it came from more of a scientific curiosity rather than a morbid curiosity. And when I got older and I got into high school, we had to start doing different career reports. Uh, oddly enough, <laughs> my career, chosen career was a forensic pathologist to interview and understand. And unfortunately, I wasn't of age to be able to go into the autopsy room. Uh, so I was only able to see photos. And when I went to the Orange County coroner's office to do my interview, I remember him saying, well, I'm sorry, I can just show you a photo. And he went to take this Polaroid photo out. And this was going to be my very first time. Now I was about 16 years old going to see my first dead body, like truly not one that was uh, you know, makeup over for, for television or a movie, you know, a real one. And the photo fell out of his hand and kind of did a couple of flips. And in, in, the, in the course of it flipping over, I had caught a glimpse. And I, I was startled at that, that initial glimpse I caught. And when it landed, it landed face down. And I kind of took a breath and I said, okay, phew, I can prepare myself. Then he flipped the photo over. And, and, and so me, this, I was now answering that question at seven, would I have been scared? And in that, that brief moment, I was scared. And then once I looked at it, I was like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought, but wow, what is this that I'm looking at? And, you know, one of my circles being closed in this moment that you and I are talking about is that this was a body that was found floating in the ocean and they had been bloated up just like the bodies I had seen just recently when I was curious as to what the effects the tsunami has on the human body. And, um, and so this was, again, you know, seeing these photos was the first time I had seen the photos at the age of 52 since the time I was age 15, uh, 15, 16. And so I, I find that interesting that a circle has come to close yet again. 
And uh, so when I saw it, I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. I can handle this. And then I remember we're continuing to walk through and I'd seen some really old cards on this filing cabinet. And I was like, well, what are those up there? And he goes, and they're like index cards. He goes, oh, those are our John Doe's and Jane Doe's. And they were so yellowed. They had been there that long. And, and I was very, I was intrigued that they would hold on to bodies for that long. And then we we stepped out on the dock, and I remember being in that threshold of being a foot inside the building and a foot outside the building. And I was rocking myself back and forth as I was inhaling the air, and I was like telling myself, I was like, I could I could smell something different, and I and it was a new smell to me. And I asked him, I said, "What is that smell? Identify it for me, because I don't know it." And in that moment, he looked at me. He goes, "That is the smell of death." Wow. This is what death smells like. And I was like, wow. I mean, I'm, I mean, the hair on my arms right now are standing up just remembering that moment. So in that, you know, in that course of interviewing this coroner, I really had come to know what death looked like in reality. Uh, it's not for everybody to know, to understand, to to seek it as a profession. Um and, but it's important to know that there are people in the world that that we are very compassionate and we care and this is what we've chosen to do in life um, because we can handle it and we'll handle it with utmost respect uh, and due diligence and take care of those left behind. And that's truly what we do in our lives. Um, but it was very interesting. Um, so as of age seven, um, and, and unfortunately that interview with the coroner didn't, didn't satiate me completely in my curiosity because I was still haunted, if you will, on the wanting to understand the image of this infant that had still stayed with me uh, from the time I was seven. Fast forward, I joined the United States Army. Well, before you fast forward, I, 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 I definitely like to come back here because I think this is, yeah. it's fascinating. I want to dip back to seven, if you don't mind. Sure. So you're a seven-year-old. What part of the country is this? I'm in Colorado at this time. You're a seven-year-old in Colorado. Okay, so this is, you said you were 53? You're 53 now? I'm 53 now. So we're talking 45 years ago or so? Yes. Yes. So, okay, uh, mid-70s. Yes. About 77, 76, 77. Okay, so you, you learn that there is this child in a, a garbage can on the news. You're fascinated with it. It stays with you. Did this come out in other ways? Not just, just your fascination. How did it come out? Uh, it, it, it came out in my consistent life work. Um, and I was going to tell you when I joined the military, it, it, it came out full circle. Um, and, uh, you know, I talked about the full circle that I originally was going to focus on the main first circle, but today I just realized I closed the second circle, uh, within my life's journey of understanding death and what death looks like. Uh, and that was researching the bodies of the victims of the tsunami and realizing that they looked just like the first body on that Polaroid photo that slipped over accidentally in the coroner's office. Uh, and so this is the first time that I really looked at it again uh, and studied it a little bit more to understand 
that if I were to have to care for one of these bodies, how would I do that? And how would I be able to render um, the best care possible onto that body in such a grotesque, that, that's presented in such a grotesque way? Not quite what I mean. Okay, elaborate. All right, once again, I'll, I'll compare us both. Sure. If you talked to nine-year-old James about radio or television or newspapers or, or what have you, he would talk your ear off. I'm wondering if if the people around you did they hear, did you talk about it all the time? Did you did you keep it to yourself? Did you did you have other habits as a kid that you tried to satiate it or were you so content to keep this 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 pining to learn more about death to yourself until you were 16? I was secretly, whenever we would get in a car, we, I would secretly keep my face glued to the window, thinking I might see something dead along the side of the road. But nobody knew that. Uh, I'm sure at, at, at the tender age of nine, you could talk your ear off about a microphone and radio, and people would listen to you all day long and not think that you were crazy and should be committed to an asylum or think that you might be a, a future serial killer or something. So I had to keep everything very close to my chest, if you know what I mean. I couldn't talk about it because I didn't want people to think that I was weird. And interesting enough, try being a funeral director and dating. That would be interesting. <laughs> exactly. You see? Death is not something people want to hear. Death is not something people want to really talk about. For some reason, it's a dark cloud. But you can talk about radio and microphones all day long. There's no dark cloud associated fair, to it. Fair. It, it's a very fine balance. You have to know when you can talk about it and when you can't. So imagine the diarrhea of the mouth I had when I was standing in the office of the coroner. Because I had someone that shared the commonality, that shared the same interests and curiosities. Boy, did we have some serious conversations. And I felt comfortable for once talking about my death curiosities and understanding about death that I couldn't talk about with other people. Did your family have any sense? No. No, none at all. So you were that good at, at, at playing it close to the vest. Yes. It really didn't come out until I was in high school. When, So when I was a freshman in high school, we had to do a speaking engagement. You know, we had to just present something, you know, speaking 101. You know how that mm -hmm. goes, right? You got to get up in class yeah. and present. So in that moment, I told my mother, I said, I want to do a presentation on cremation. And that was the first time that I that my family had learned that I was interested in death. What was the reaction? Well, the reaction was, well, did you know that you had an older brother who was cremated? I never knew I had an older brother. And he died at 33 minutes of birth after being born. And and so I said, well, where is he? Where is he located? And my mama said, he's, um, he's in a um, storage space at the local cemetery. Uh, your dad and I didn't have enough money to to have a headstone back in that time frame. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm 
a freshman, a, a, yeah, a freshman in high school at this time. So I'm about 14 or 14, 15. And, um, it was a year before I interviewed the coroner and he, um, and so I said, okay, mama, how much will it cost to bring him home? And she said, I don't know. So I called the cemetery and I said, how much will it cost for me to bring my brother home? They said $45. So I went out and I earned $45 and brought my, my older brother home. And he was in this metal box and I had to break open, literally pry open this metal box because it had no key to it. And I dumped out his, his ashes and I went and had to a, like a dollar store and got a little clear Q-tip box so you could see through it. And I put his ashes in there and I took him to school as my prop for my speech on cremation. Did you tell them it was your brother? You should have seen the reactions of the students and the teacher. <laughs> Which were? They were scared at first. Everyone kind of like, you're in like seeing the movie and people go, ah! and pull themselves back a little bit. That's kind of what it was at first. And then all of a sudden, everyone was like, I want to see, I want to see. So then my brother ended up being passed around the entire class because everyone and everyone wanted to know what he looked like. So I truly believe that there's some curiosity in all of us at what things look like. Thanks for listening to all of the above. Let me know what you think at James Brown TV anywhere. And of course, at jamesbrowntv.substack.com. Paid subscribers can listen to more of my conversation with Genevieve now. Everyone else will hear the next part next week. I'm James Brown, and as always, be well.